Hi, I'm Marie. And I'm Emily. And we're registered dietitians who love to look at the research when it comes to all things diets and supplements. With years of working with professional and collegiate athletes, we've seen it all, and we're here to set the record straight. On this podcast, we break down popular diets and supplements to let you know what's legit and what's BS. everybody to Artie's versus BS podcast. Today we are doing um, a little bit of a different topic. We got an email asking us how to figure out how many calories to eat in a day. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys know that there are online calculators that you can find. Sometimes your Apple watch will tell you how many calories you've burned in a day. Um, so we are going to discuss how we as dietitians learn how to calculate your recommendations for calories, the different equations that we use, a little bit of a backstory of how we got to those. And then we are going to end with a very fun BSPS. We were <laughs> chatting before we hit record. I was like, you know, instead of shit at the grocery store, we should just do shit Gary Brecca says, because that's right, he's back. Woo-hoo. And now he's saying not to put bananas in your smoothie because they are going to kill you if you blend them. So we will get to that at the end in our BSPS. <laughs> but before we get into all that, if you'd like to support the show, receive all sorts of nutrition tips, recipes, and more, you can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Arties versus BS podcast. And you can uh, find the link in the show notes and the link in our Instagram bio. If you like our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, a five-star rating on Spotify, and please continue to send us any topic suggestions by DMing us on our Instagram at Arties underscore VS underscore BS underscore pod or our contact page from our website, artiesversusbs.com. All right, we have a slightly longer shit at the grocery store that was a listener submission. So Emily, you looked into this, so I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah, I love it when listeners submit these kind of things, because then I don't have to look for things at the grocery store. (laughs) This was awesome. So this is what our listeners said. They said, I love your podcast. I'm still working my way through the episode. Sometimes I have to listen more than once because my mom and I chat about them. I loved that. That's amazing. So then they went on to say, would love to hear your take on this and sent me a link to something called sugar busting tea. The first one is called sugar proof tea. And this one is specifically meant to break your sugar craving. And the way that they do that is by they add in the tea an ingredient that blocks the sugar receptors on your tongue which then blocks your perception of the sweet flavor. So when you eat sweets after drinking this tea, supposedly it just tastes bland and flavorless. And I had like a flashback. I don't know if it was at Ohio State, but I remember chewing this gum and then we would eat something and it didn't taste like anything. Feel like it was there or it could have been an under... I, I don't know. It was really like a deep memory in my brain. So this... I haven't ever heard of it in a tea, but this compound exists. And it actually does work to block the sugar receptors. Now, it only lasts for like... They say between 20 minutes to two hours. So it's not forever. It Let's say it works. Great. It works. But this is such a crazy way to go about breaking a sugar craving by 
you could still eat it, but it's not going to taste like anything. I feel like all this would make me do is like either get super addicted to drinking this tea. Which they want. Like very obsessive about it of uh-huh. like, oh, I'm go- I got to like keep drinking this or I'm like going to crave sugar. Or I would just wait 30 minutes and then eat right. what I was craving in the first Rub place. Off your tongue. I'd, yeah, I'd, 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 I feel like this leads to uh, binging my behavior might be an extreme side of it, but I just feel like this leads to like not a healthy relationship with sugar where you just be like, oh, like I'm going to have a cookie. I'll have one. Okay, cool. I'm going to go about my day. Now it's just like I'm force feeding myself this tea. I'm not thinking about the cookie. I'm not thinking about the cookie. It's not going to taste good. I'm not thinking about the cookie. And then it's just like, that's all you think about. Yeah. The actual ingredient is called... Gymnema Silvestre. I guess this Gymnema Silvestre ingredient has been used in Ayurvedic medicine to use to lower blood sugar as well. But this isn't, you know, there's not really solid human research or evidence behind this. The second tea is called Sleek and Slender, which not only, you know, it contains the same ingredient that blocks the sugar. So they say, yeah, you'll get rid of sugar cravings, but it's also good for digestion, managing healthy weight. It just contains a bunch of garbage ingredients that don't do any of that, right? So, you know, so it's funny because the ingredients, I had to look up a lot of them and they have like the science name, mm-hmm. but the first ingredient is just tea. <laughs> and then it also has <laughs> dandelion root, but instead of saying dandelion, they say Tara taxum officinalis root but it's just like dandelion yeah because they don't want people to recognize it and be like oh that doesn't you know i know that doesn't do anything but you see the genus and species i don't know if that's the right words for plants or not but like you know what i mean like you see the scientific name and you're like oh i don't know what that is that must be the compound that's boosting my metabolism which we're about to talk about which is not a thing Foniculum vulgare. It's like, ooh, what's that? It's just fennel. Like, I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's cracking me up. That's definitely purposeful. Like, they want people to think there's some magic ingredient in here. Yeah. Yeah. Which, there's not. I think it's interesting how, like, at least with, like, wine and food. I took a class in um, undergrad, like, wine and food pairing and. Some foods would, like, change the way the wine tastes. Like, that's interesting. But this just takes it to a a whole other level. Yeah. I would not recommend going about reducing your sugar cravings this way. Like, this very much seems like an unhealthy habit. Yeah, Um, I totally agree. Would not recommend, but very fun to talk about. So thank you to our listener who sent us that. So... Let's talk about calorie calculators. Maria, I'll I'll hand it off to you because I've been talking for a while. (laughs) Yes. All right. So this was the email that we got from our listener. They said, love your podcast and so glad you ladies are back. I was wondering if you could maybe talk about how to figure out how many calories one may need in a day. I'm trying to figure out how many calories I should be consuming while subtracting a small amount to lose weight. I'm not sure how accurate those online calculators are. Also, if I should be adding calories on the days I work out, I'm so confused. Thanks so much. Yes. So I will say that um, if you guys want to, when we had Elena Efrid on um, last year, I think it was like our last New Year's episode, yeah. early 2023. Yeah, over a year ago. Yeah. Um, we did discuss this with her in the context of the dangers of dropping 
calorie intake too low and the dangers of dieting and extreme restriction. So um, we do talk about it on that episode. If you guys want to, we're going to get a little bit more into like the calculations in this episode. But if you guys want to, if you haven't listened to that yet, um, that is also a good reference because we talk about that there. But okay, so how do we figure out how many calories we need in a day? Good news and bad news. <laughs> Probably bad news for a lot of people, especially bad if you're news like, first. yeah, but the, here's the thing. Like, we're never going to know exactly. It is, it's impossible. I, I mean, it is possible. We'll talk about the one way to actually figure it out. But even if you can figure out for a day, your day to day is not going to be the same every day. Um, so it's an estimation in the same way that your calorie input is an estimation and we'll get there. So this is all averages. I think that that's a good thing in that it is more evidence of like not getting obsessive with numbers because we're never going to know the numbers for sure, but I can see people not liking that they're not going to be given an exact number. Um, Mm -hmm. but it is what it is. All right, so how many calories do you need in a day? So there are four things that make up your total calorie output. So this is how many calories you are burning in a day. And to take a step back, I think we have talked about this before, but in case we haven't, a calorie is simply a unit of energy. So in the same way that an inch is a measure of length and a, I don't know, Liter is a measure of volume, right? A calorie is a measure of energy. So when we're talking about calories that you're consuming, that's how much energy your food is giving you. When we're talking about calories you're expending, that's how many, how much energy it takes to keep your meta- metabolism running, basically, like all your, your bodily functions going. To figure out how many calories you need in a day, there are four things that we take into consideration. They are your basal metabolic rate, and we that's where most of these calorie calculators kind of are trying to estimate is that number. There is the thermic effect of food. So that is how many calories you burn by eating because eating is a metabolically active process and you actually burn calories in the process of eating. You have your NEAT, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So that is calories required to move and do anything other than like be in a coma, basically. So walking to the bathroom, fidgeting, blinking your eyes, walking over to the copier to make coffee, stuff like that. That isn't exercise specific. Like I went to the gym to do this type of exercise. And then the last thing is that intentional exercise. Um, So exercise activity thermogenesis. So those are the four things that you add those all up. And that is how many calories you let off, if you will, in a day to survive. Simple as that. Yes. (laughs) So don't you just know your numbers? (laughs) I know. And this is where it gets so frustrating as a dietitian because I, I don't know. I just really do like knowing exact numbers. But even within this, the four things that make up your total daily energy usage, we don't have great ways to measure any of these. Now, I want to go, we'll go through them and kind of explain like 
the best that we can do to measure some of these. But this is why, you know, our listener was saying, you know, I'm so confused. You're not the only <laughs> one. And like, it's confusing. And at the end of the, at the end of the day, just like Marie said, we can only get, you know, an, an estimation. So these percentages vary, but in general, a person's BMR or basal metabolic rate. So the amount of calories that they burn just laying down, not moving in a whole day, that's about 60% of their calories. So that's the biggest chunk. The next biggest chunk is that NEAT. So the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So walking from your bedroom to your bathroom or standing while you're making breakfast, all of those things added up are about 20% of your total calories for per day. The next one is TEF, so the thermic effect of food. Your body uses about 10% of the calories that you need in a whole day for that. And then that last 10%, if anyone's been adding up the numbers in their head, is for that exercise piece. So if you don't exercise in a day, you know, that percent is, is gonna be zero. If you you know, they say on average, it's about 10%. But, you know, for athletes or people who are training for a marathon and are running for two hours a day, that percentage is going to be a lot higher. So I don't know, it just helps for me to kind of put it in percentage numbers. But even, you know, me saying that these numbers vary for Mm -hmm. each person. But in general, this is typically what, um, typically what we find. Yeah. I definitely think that there's a misconception that exercise is like most of what we burn in a day where it is actually, again, like barring these sort of extreme athlete scenarios, it's actually like the smallest percentage. And this is not to deter people from intentionally exercising, but I do think it's worth bringing up. For example, a 30 minute run burns like about 250 calories. Now, of course, that's going to vary based off of your fitness level and a bunch of different factors. But, you know, people will go on the treadmill and really put in a lot of effort and do a 30 minute run and feel like they've quote earned, you know, some really big dinner or whatever. And A, I think that's why this whole concept of like earning your calories is not a good concept because we know that the majority of the calories that you need you don't need to earn because you are burning calories by existing. And we know that most of the calories that you are burning are because of you just simply existing, right? But then also, um, a lot of times people in the pursuit of weight loss uh, sort of have this idea of whatever calories they burn in the gym, they can eat back. And that is a pitfall that a lot of people make kind of over assuming how many calories that they're burning in the gym. And again, this is not me deterring you from going to the gym or saying, oh, it's not worth it. Obviously, exercise of any kind is very healthful, but that is something to kind of keep in mind. I do think that people over assume how many calories they're burning in a workout setting. 100%. Like to burn 500 calories takes a lot of effort and probably, you know, about six miles of running. Yeah. Right. If we do that, like double the 250. 
Um, I could consume 500 calories in 15 seconds. Yeah. A milkshake. I can yes. chug a milkshake and I have eaten 500 calories. So yeah, it's, you make a really good point there. And I, I'm just, you know, unlocking all the memories today that unlocked another memory of my friend in high school who, um, I wish they would have taught us this stuff earlier because I remember having this conversation with her and she was saying, well, I burn 500 calories a day, so that's all I can eat. Mm-hmm. It's like the opposite. Th- she didn't even consider all the calories you're burning, like BMR, just being mm-hmm. alive. It was in her mind that like, I can only eat the amount of calories I burn and then that will keep me at the same weight, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, when it's 10% of what you need, like talk about under eating. So yeah, right. this is important stuff to talk about because, you know... It's not really taught that widely. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm glad we're talking about it now. Let's just, I mean, we're going to be spending the most time talking about BMR and how to calculate that because that's where, you know, the calorie calculators come in and all of that. But before we get to that, I want to just briefly touch on the other three because this isn't really something that we talk about that much. So, the first thing I want to talk about is the um, the EAT or the Exercise Activity Thermogenesis. Is that what it stands for? Mm-hmm. All these acronyms are getting to me. Okay, so the one where it's like how many calories you burn if you exercise that day. I mean, a lot of people wear watches these days, and that gives you like kind of a number, but also we don't know how accurate that number is. Or like if you're walking or running on a treadmill, they'll shoot up like, you've burned this many calories. And if you compare it to like what your watch says, it'll be like 200 calories off or something. So I don't even know what the most accurate way to measure this would be. You know, in general, when I work with people, I just try to, if they have a watch, like we'll use that information, but I, you don't take it as like black or white. Like they definitely burned 542 calories. Like it's just kind of an estimate. We try to think of it instead as like, how active are you over a whole week? And sometimes do like an activity factor sort of thing. That's like a, another way to estimate that but um what are your thoughts on that marie like estimating energy expenditure and also i guess answering our our um, listeners question of should they be adding calories on days that they work out yeah so like you just said there's not a super good way to do it outside of like clinical judgment i would say just kind of so Mm-hmm. Um, when we figure out somebody's basal metabolic rate using one of these calculators, we'll add an activity factor to it and we'll get to that. And there are guidelines for activity factors. And what that activity factor essentially takes into account is assuming for the thermic effect of food, the NEAT and the, the, the exercise. So essentially take your BMR times it by 1.2 if you're sedentary times it by two or above two if you are very active, right? So there's all these different ranges. And then clinical judgment outside of that. So um, for example, if it recommends that you do 3,000 calories a day and you do 3,000 calories a day and you're losing a bunch of weight, right? That's probably just not enough calories. So Mm -hmm. it is really hard to capture. And here's, I I don't know, I, I... 
This is such a dietitian answer. I can't answer that <laughs> listener's questions without asking her like five more questions, right? Right. If you're, it, it kind of depends on like what your exercise is and how consistent you are with it. And, you know, there's a huge difference between like, do I need to account for a 30 minute walk versus do I need to account for three days a week? I go on an hour plus run. Those are two very different exercises. Um, There's no hard and fast rule. I would say kind of in general, if you're doing like 45 minutes to an hour or above, likely we'll need to account for more calorie intake. But then you also have to remember that your body's going to be metabolically active on rest days if if you are generally active or have these days of like really high activity and days of really low activity, because you're going to be recovering from the days of high activity. So that you're still higher metabolically active than you would have been if you had not worked out at all, which is where all of this is just averages. Honestly, for most of the people that I work with, I give them a range, um, unless there's a really specific training that they're doing. So for example, um, sometimes I have people that are going through certain programs where they lift four days a week, and then they have a 12 mile ruck like a weighted walk. So that day obviously is going to be a lot higher than the other days, but then the other days I'm like, just kind of average it out. So I can't really answer that question without knowing. I do think that using the BMR, choosing an activity factor that you think is appropriate for you, and then just kind of trying to stay under over a couple hundred calories of whatever that is, is probably the best way that it's all going to average average out for you. Again, unless you are doing days of 60 mile bike ride one day and then zero activity the next day, you know, like kind of once you start to get to that, I'm doing a lot like more than an hour on one day and zero on another day. Like, yeah, you're going to have some variability If you're kind of just like, I go to Zumba class on Tuesday and Thursday, probably don't really need to account for that. It's going to kind of average out. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good answer. I totally agree. I mean, it's what I would have said. So in my mind, I'm like, that's the perfect answer because I would have said the exact same thing, (laughs) even though it's very like. Such a good non-answer. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, reach out to me or Marie or another dietitian, and we'll ask you all the questions and, you know, give you a more specific answer, right. For this Mm -hmm. like particular listener. But, um, yeah, I like making things as easy as possible for people. (laughs) Like, I don't know if, if we can just average it out. And I like explaining what you said too, is, you know, even on days you're not working out, you're recovering. And when people are like, I'm more hungry on days, I don't work out. It's like, yeah, you're recovering. So Mm -hmm. That's why I don't do like eat 500 more calories on workout days and then on rest days, like lower it down to here. It averages Mm -hmm. are much more important, I think. Yeah. So the next two things, the uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, that is obviously going to vary greatly depending on are you, do you have an active job versus not, you know, do you, are you fidgety? Like literally people that fidget more burn more calories than people that don't. Where this kind of gets captured in our calculations is that activity factor. So we will ask you, are you, do you have a sedentary job? Are you active in your, um, so that stuff tends to get captured in the activity factor. 
And then the last thing, the thermic effect of food, like, honestly, this is kind of a given and it's part of those calculations. But one thing to note, and I mean, I wouldn't put like too, too much stock in this because I think sometimes people like get a little carried away with this knowledge, but you only store, I guess, um, although you can't really store protein energy, but you only store about 70 to 75% of protein calories versus carbohydrate calories. You store about 90% of it. And with fat calories, you store almost a hundred percent of it. So you could get so deep into this, right? right? <laughs> like, and so yeah. a lot of times you'll hear people that are say like, Oh, I'm on a higher protein diet. I feel like I can eat more without gaining weight. I think a lot of that is satiety and you feel a lot more full when you have high protein foods. But part of it is you are, you're not absorbing less calories, but you're storing less calories when you're eating a higher percentage protein diet. So again, I don't want people to get like super bogged down in this. Um, but that is why like making sure that you have adequate protein and why maybe a higher protein diet, if you are trying to gain or maintain muscle and lose fat can help with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And yeah, for this with the thermic effect of food, again, like pretty impossible to actually measure and figure out exactly what it is for each person. But, you know, it's about 10%. So like, I again, no need to get bogged down in the weeds of this. Like it's not, it's there, but it's not like, you don't have to know exactly. You don't have to go in and know exactly how many grams of protein, carbs, and fat, and like alcohol's even on this list. Like there's a thermic effect that alcohol, it's just crazy. Like you could get so complicated into this and like you don't need to Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, we're all just making the best guess we can anyway. Those are kind of a summary of those three, but we wanted to spend some time talking about BMR because that is really kind of the heart of all of this. Like we said, it tends to be about 60% of the calories you're burning in a day is your BMR. It's just your body being alive. And so how do we calculate this? How do we get as close as possible to knowing without actually measuring? And I guess, you know, before we get into these formulas and calculations and like the calorie calculators online, we can briefly talk about like there are certain ways that do measure BMR that are, you know, a little more accurate, I guess, than a calculation, but not by a whole lot. And the, you know, the one that comes to mind for me is a metabolic cart, which is this device where you're breathing into it. It's measuring your RQ, your respiratory quotient of like how many carbs versus fat you're burning. We've talked about it, like, especially in the Lumen episode that was essentially like measuring that. Um, And they can give you a BMR number. How do we generally calculate BMR if you do not have access to a metabolic cart, an indirect calorimeter, which most people don't? So basically, we have a bunch of equations that we can choose between. And if you are using an online calculator, I would hope that they're using a validated formula, although I would recommend if you're kind of just wanting to calculate for yourself, like, yeah, I would recommend maybe like, instead of just Googling online calculator, like Google one of these names, be like Mifflin St. George calculator. And so at least you know that you're getting the validated measurement, but all right, 
without having like going too much into this, we've got a couple <laughs> that we use. There's about like eight ish that are validated. First one is Mifflin St. George. This is the one that the U.S. Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics recommends that you use. There are two that take lean body mass into consideration. So you're more metabolically active the more lean mass that you have. I guess I should back up. So typically they're going to ask you your age, your height, your weight, and your sex. The more information they ask you, typically the more accurate it's going to be. Uh, Just because, again, lean mass is more metabolically active than fat masses. So both the catch McArdle formula and the Cunningham equation, which is what I use at work, take lean body mass into consideration. You probably won't know what your lean body mass is unless you've done some sort of body composition testing, which in my like where I work, that's very easy for me to get that information. But obviously, if you're just going online, you might not know that. Then we have the Harris Benedict equation. And this is the one that I think like world, the World Health Organization recommends the Harris Benedict. And then there's a couple others. There's like Schofield that's usually used in pediatrics. So anyways, there's like all these validated equations. I'll say list them off one more time if you just want to Google them. Mifflin St. George, Catch McArdle, Cunningham, Harris Benedict. I don't recommend Schofield. Because if you're trying to get a kids, I wouldn't recommend just doing that online. Go to your pediatrician. (laughs) And here's the thing about all these different equations. Like, they're all like, you know, somewhat complicated equations, which is why these online calculators make it easy because you just have to input the data. It shoots the number out for you. But here's the thing. Irregardless of what you use, whether you use one of these fancy things or you use the metabolic cart, because I also have access to a metabolic cart at work, you usually come up with a number that's within like 300 of all the equations. Like they all usually land around the same area. So like nitpicking what you're going to do to figure it out really doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's such a good point because (laughs) yeah, don't feel like if you don't have access to a metabolic cart that like, oh, it's not even worth putting my information in and trying to figure it out. Like, you know, they're all somewhat, yeah, like Marie said, within 300, not worth like seeking out a metabolic cart just to get your calorie number. Because like we said, how useful is your calorie number when nutrition labels can be up to 20% off anyway. So putting it all into perspective. Yes. So with these calculations, you would then attach an activity factor to it. So again, the activity factor is supposed to take into account the other three pie pieces, your non-exercise activity, your exercise activity, and the thermic effect of food. So if you are somebody who's sedentary, your activity factor is 1.2 to 1.3. If you're somebody that's moderately active, it's uh, 1.3 to 1.5. If you are highly active, it's 1.5 to 2. And if you are professional athlete, endurance athlete, significantly higher needs, then it would be greater than 2. So you would times that whatever your equation is, times it by whatever your activity factor that you think is. So if you're kind of thinking to yourself, wow, this seems kind of all over the place. It kind of, it, it kind of is, but it, here's the thing. Like, you know, I hate, I hate, like I, we're not gatekeeping. Like there are online calculators that are using these validated tools. You have free access to them, but if you really are confused 
it might be worth talking to a dietitian or somebody who knows how to do this because they can use clinical judgment, know what questions to ask you in terms of like, what does your day look like? And then more correctly assign you with an activity factor versus trying to just figure it out on your own. Yeah. And I was just talking to Seb about this because he always asks what our topic is and then kind of gives his two cents. And <laughs> kind of we're just chatting about is, you know, at the end of the day, we try to guess as close as we can what the calories are. And then you calculate the macros, the fat, protein, carbs. But what I have found to be most successful with most people is to just see what they're eating right now, see mm-hmm. what their goals are, and make changes accordingly. Because mm-hmm. you could write them a whole new meal plan with exactly the right amount of all of this to come, you know, if you eat all of this, then you will have the perfect amount of calories, fat, protein, and carbs. But we don't know what the perfect amount is. And it is a guess within 20% anyway when you actually eat the food of how much of this, the calories you're getting. And it's just complicated. So for actual practical purposes, I think it's, it can be helpful to know about my calorie needs to maintain weight is about this. Great. Like you'll somewhat know, but when it comes to making changes, that's why I find it super important as do, does every dietitian to know what a person is doing now. And Mm -hmm. if you're trying to lose weight, Let's make some changes to try to lower caloric intake without feeling too hungry, right? Without, like Elena talked about, going below Mm -hmm. um, a certain number. If you're trying to gain weight, you try to add some more. And if you're, you know, whatever it is, I just find that to be the best way to go about it instead of saying, nope, everything you're doing is wrong. Now you have to follow my perfect plan because there's no such thing as a perfect plan. Mm -hmm. And also not wanting to do like, one session with someone, give them a plan and leave them because you don't know how their body's going to respond. Like there needs to be a certain amount of time. There needs to be follow-up. And if, you know, nothing's happening and nothing's changing in the way that they want to, then you know, okay, we need to make more changes. Even if the first plan you gave them was theoretically fitting all of the calculations you made. Like there's a big space between the calculations and the results. Right. And I can't tell you how many meal record, like meal skeleton plans and calorie recommendations I've changed based off of feedback from people. Right. Um, Cause again, every time. I feel yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this, I probably should have the BMR calculations that we just talked about of the validated ones. Those were all based off of studies done on ventilated patients. So again, if somebody's ventilated, it's essentially, I mean, obviously it's not what we're using it for. We're using it to like help them breathe, but we can capture their RQ at all times. It's essentially an indirect calorimeter constantly going when somebody's ventilated. That's how we came up with those equations. We, not me and Emily, people people (laughs) of yonder year. I think geniuses and super old Harris, Harris Benedict is the oldest. It was, uh, 1919 is when that was developed, but it's since been revised and updated, but, um, yeah. Well, thank goodness. Over a hundred year old equation. Yeah. (laughs) They learned a little bit over the past hundred years. Yeah. So I don't know if that made things like more confusing or less confusing. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's I, the uh, Dunning Kruger effect. Yeah. Right? The more you know, the more the you less you know. Yeah, you don't. Know. Yes, I now know what that is thanks to you. Uh, so I mean, I guess my kind of takeaways are: if you want to use an online calculator, just make sure it's one of the validated tools that will give you a relatively accurate BMR, and then using what you know your activity level to be, assign an activity factor to that. And that will give you a a decently, I mean, it's not going to be off by like Mm -hmm. 2000 calories, you know, like it will be pretty accurate. Um, But then like Emily said, you know, if you're tracking and you're consuming that much and you feel like it's way too little or way too much, like that's feedback from your body, right? And so you can adjust You're You're not restricted to what the online calculator told you. (laughs) I do want to add this too. Online calculators, a lot of times don't, like, like they're just spitting out numbers, they're equations. So if you put in incorrect information, or you say you want to lose 20 pounds in five weeks or something like that, like it, it is simply doing math. So it's not going to flag for bad recommendations. So if you see a calorie recommendation that's lower than your BMR, bad. You never, ever, ever want to go below your BMR because basically all that does is drop that BMR amount. You are now working with essentially a lower calorie budget, if you will, and it just makes weight loss now and in the future a lot harder. For more on that, we can you can go listen to our episode with Elena. Yes. Yeah, really good point. And what comes to mind is my fitness pal because I played around with it and they'll recommend 900 calorie days. Well, because all they're doing is like, you, if you say I want to lose 200 pounds by tomorrow, like it will calculate that for you, you know? Right. <laughs> Use the calculator. It's free. It's there. It's on the computer. Like it's totally fine. But it's like taking that information and putting action to it and make doing it in a way that's going to be healthy and sustainable is kind of where dietitians come in. So if mm-hmm. you have more questions, we're here for you guys. You yeah. know how to get in touch with us. Oh, I have one more thing to add because, sorry. Right. (laughs) The listener also asked, how do you take that number and figure out for weight loss or weight gain? We can do both ways. So basically take whatever your BMR number is with the activity factor. So for example, my numbers, just knowing myself is about 2,500 calories a day. If I wanted to lose weight, I would reduce that anywhere from 250 to 500 calories a day. But if you subtract 500 calories and you go below that BMR, you have subtracted too many calories. This Mm -hmm. is a problem usually with smaller women just because we have less of a calorie budget. So sometimes when I work with women that are like 5'3", it's just we just have a smaller calorie budget. It's the cross we bear. Um, (laughs) But anyways, so in my example let's say anywhere from like 2000 to 2200 ish calories a day, I would lose weight. If I were trying to gain weight, I wouldn't want to do anywhere from about, it would be plus 250 to 500 ish. So I would want about two to 2700 to 3000 ish. Yeah. And we do that to keep it sustainable too. Well, also if you go too quickly, it's going to start breaking down your muscle mass, which in the long run is going to slow your metabolic rate. So kind of that that's the sweet spot of like, if you are trying to put on weight, you're putting on either just muscle or typically it's muscle and fat sort of body composition rising together. If you're trying to lose body fat, doing it in a way that will maintain your muscle mass. Right. 
I think we answered all of their questions and much more. <laughs> we got into a lot. But yeah, I'm sure this raised more questions for people. So yeah, if you have any questions, do send them our way. We love hearing from you all. But this is kind of a fun peek into a dietitian's world a little bit when it comes to at least calculating calories. So now you all know. Okay, we have a fun BSPS. This is from Marie. Marie this was a listener. This. No, this was a listener submission, oh, but I had seen oh, this. Yeah, I had okay. seen this. I had not. So tell us what we're getting into. Oh, God. Well, but Gary Brecca, the man, the myth, the <laughs> legend is out here telling people that they should not blend their bananas in smoothies. If you must eat a banana, you must eat it whole. I'm honestly shocked that he's even letting people chew food at this point. I'm surprised he's not telling people to swallow stuff whole. I know, I know. Right? How far is he going to take this? What he's saying is that when you blend, I don't know why particularly bananas, but it is like bananas that he's got the issue with. He says that when you blend bananas, that you will absorb sugar four times faster than you would if you had just eaten the banana whole. It should come as no surprise that there's zero evidence for that. And like, I love that he just pulls these stats out of his ass. Like, he's like, oh, right. like, glycemic load goes up four times. It's like, what? Like, yeah, where did you, like, where? No citation. He's talking to the medical medium spirit. Spirit's talking to Gary, too. Right. <laughs> there you go. They're all in cahoots. Yeah. But yeah, okay, here's the thing. Like, no, no, don't. It seriously does not matter. It makes less of an impact than like literally any other intervention we could ever right. talk about. Like, this is not worth your time and energy. No, this is so stupid. Like, if you're otherwise not going to eat the banana, like, just put the freaking banana in the smoothie. Also, it makes the consistency way better. Like, this is so dumb. Okay. He's ruining smoothies. Yes. Like, a banana is what holds it together. And yeah. Marie and I have both blended many smoothies in our yes. lifetime. Yes. It, the, the banana is key for consistency. <laughs> no. Okay. Here's the thing. So he's basically saying that by blending it, you're like breaking down the fiber and you're releasing the sugars and the sugars, you know, absorb so much quicker, blah, blah, blah. No. So even though it is blended, this fiber is still there. So you're not getting rid of the fiber. Now, if you're juicing fruits and vegetables, although I don't think you would juice a banana. Yes, by juicing things, you are taking all the fiber out, leaving just the carbohydrates. So that would just be a sugary juice. Pros and cons of when to do that, when to not do that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about blending a banana. So no, we do not have any evidence to show that blending a banana increases sugar, raises blood glucose four times or whatever he was saying like that literally doesn't happen the fiber is still there i'm assuming you're blending it with other stuff which he always forgets like you've got other things in that smoothie and just in case you don't believe us we have two i was shocked about this two peer-reviewed studies that prove him wrong Uh, on bananas specifically one is bananas specifically and one is blended versus whole fruit but bananas were not on the list Bananas specifically, we see no difference in glucose concentration in blood when people ate a smushed banana versus a 
whole banana. Oh, you don't say. I, w- I, I love that this was a study. I, I do too. Um, er, sorry, a slurried banana was, uh, so it was blended, a, bl- a blended banana. Okay. Yeah. The other study looks at whole fruit consumption versus blended fruit consumption. What they actually found was that your blood sugar goes up less with the blended. Now, I think it was so little of a difference that it was one of those like statistically significant, but not like really significant situations, right? So this is also not me saying like, don't eat your fruits full. (sighs) Like literally don't worry about it. The fact that he's made this such a big deal is just like, Will you just let people eat fruits, Gary? Like, some people only eat fruits in the form of smoothies. Just let people be. Let people blend their bananas. My God. I'm sorry. Of all the health issues that we have in this country and in this world, and you're worried about people blending their bananas. I can't. I can't with this man. We've got bigger problems. Yeah, exactly. He just loves... ah, It just stresses me out. Everything you thought you knew is wrong. Yeah. And like, we're getting it down to the nitty gritty here. Yeah. It's exhausting to try to follow all of his BS, but it makes for a lot of great content on the episodes. So thank you, Gary. (laughs) And thank you all for listening to another episode of RDs versus BS. Yeah, you know how to get a hold of us if you have questions or suggestions. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. And until next time, I'm Emily. And I'm Marie. And don't let the BS get the best of you.